Section 1 of The Dream of the Red Chamber, Book 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Dream of the Red Chamber, Book 2, by Chao Shui Chin, translated by Henry Bancroft Jolly, Chapter 25, Part 1. By a demoniacal act, a junior uncle and an elder brother's wife, Pao Yu and Lady Feng, came across five devils. The gem of spiritual perception meets, in a fit of torpor, the two perfect men. Xiao Hong, the story continues, was much unsettled in her mind. Her thoughts rolled on in one connected string. But suddenly she became drowsy, and falling asleep, she encountered Chia Yun, who tried to carry out his intention to drag her near him. She twisted herself round and endeavoured to run away, but was tripped over by the doorstep. This gave her such a start that she woke up. Then at length she realised that it was only a dream. But so restlessly did she, in consequence of this fright, keep on rolling and tossing, that she could not close her eyes during the whole night. As soon as the light of the next day dawned, she got up. Several waiting-maids came at once to tell her to go and sweep the floors of the rooms and to bring water to wash the face with. Xia Hong did not even wait to arrange her hair or perform her ablutions, but, turning towards the looking-glass, she pinned a chevalier up anyhow, and rinsing her hands and tying a sash around her waist, she repaired directly to sweep the apartments. Who would have thought it? Pao Yu also had his heart set upon her the moment he caught sight of her the previous day. Yet he feared, in the first place, that if he mentioned her by name and called her over into his service, Shi Jin and the other girls might feel the pangs of jealousy. He did not, either in the second place, have any idea what her disposition was like. The consequence was that he felt downcast, so much so that when he got up at an early hour, he did not even comb his hair or wash, but simply remained seated and brooded in a state of abstraction. After a while, he lowered the window, threw the girl's frame, from which he could distinctly discern what was going on outside. He espied several servant girls engaged in sweeping the court. All of them were rouged and powdered. They had flowers inserted in their hair and were grandly got up but the only one of whom he failed to get a glimpse was the girl he had met the day before. Pa Yu speedily walked out of the door with slipshod shoes. Under the pretense of admiring the flowers, he glanced, now towards the east, now towards the west. But upon raising his head, he descried, in the southwest corner, someone or other leaning by the side of the railing under the covered passage. A crab-apple tree, however, obstructed the view, and he could not see distinctly who it was. So, advancing a step further in, he stared with intent gaze. It was, in point of fact, the waiting-maid of the day before, tarrying about, plunged in a reverie. His wish was to go forward and meet her, but he did not, on the other hand, see how he could very well do so. Just as he was cogitating within himself, he, of a sudden, perceived Pihen come and ask him to go and wash his face. 
This reminder placed him under the necessity of taking himself into his room. But we will leave him there, without further details, so as to return to Xiaohong. She was communing with her own thoughts, but unawares perceiving Shi Zhen wave her hand and call her by name, she had to walk up to her. Our watering pot is spoiled, Shi Zhen smiled and said, so go to Miss Lin's over there and find one for us to use. Xiaohong hastened on her way towards the Xiao Xiang Quan. When she got as far as the Tsuyan Bridge, she saw, on raising her head and looking round, the mounds and lofty places entirely shut in by screens, and she bethought herself that laborers were that day to plant trees in that particular locality. At a great distance off, a band of men were, in very deed, engaged in digging up the soil, while Yun was seated on a boulder on the hill superintending the works. The time came for Xiaohong to pass by, but she could not muster the courage to do so. Nevertheless, she had no other course than to quietly proceed to the Xiao Xiang Quan. Then, getting the water pot, she sped on her way back again. But being in low spirits, she retired alone into her room and lay herself down. One and all, however, simply maintained that she was out of sorts, so they did not pay any heed to her. A day went by. On the morrow fell, in fact, the anniversary of the birth of Wang Tzu Teng's spouse, and someone was dispatched from his residence to come and invite Dowager Lady Chia and Madame Wang. Madame Wang found out, however, that Dowager Lady Chia would not avail herself of the invitation, and neither would she go. So Mrs. Xue went along with the Lady Feng and the three sisters of the Chia family and Pao Chai and Pao Yu, and only returned home late in the evening. Madame Wang was seated in Mrs. Xue's apartments, whither she had just crossed when she received Chia Hun come back from school, and she bade him transcribe incantations out of the Qin Kang canon and intonate them. Chia Huan accordingly came and seated himself on the stove couch occupied by Madame Wang, and directing a servant to light the candles, he started copying in an ostentatious and dashing manner. Now he called Sai Xia to pour a cup of tea for him. Now he called Yu Chuan to take the scissors and cut the snuff off the wick. Chin Chuan, he next cried, you're in the way of the rays of the lamp. The servant girls had all along entertained an antipathy for him, and not one of them therefore worried her mind about what he said. Sai Xia was the only one who still got on well with him, so pouring a cup of tea, she handed it to him. But she felt prompted to whisper to him, Keep quiet a bit. What's the use of making people dislike you? I know myself how matters stand, Chia Huan rejoined, as he cast a steady glance at her. So don't you try and befool me. Now that you are on intimate terms with Pa Yu, you don't pay much heed to me. I've also seen through it myself. Tsai Xiao set her teeth together and gave him a fillip on the head. You heartless fellow, she cried. You're like the dog that bit Lu Tung Pin, and you have no idea of what's right and what's wrong. While these two nagged away, they noticed Lady Feng and Madame Wang come across over to them. Madame Wang at once assailed him with questions. She asked him how many ladies had been present on that day, whether the play had been good or bad, and what the banquet had been like. 
But a brief interval over, Pao Yu too appeared on the scene. After saluting Madame Wang, he also made a few remarks, with all decorum, and then bidding a servant remove his frontlet, divest him of his long gown and pull off his boots, he rushed headforemost into his mother's lap. Madame Wang caressed and patted him, but while Pao Yu clung to his mother's neck, he spoke to her of one thing and then another. My child, said Madame Wang, you've again had too much to drink. Your face is scalding hot, and if you still keep on rubbing and scraping it, why you'll by and by stir up the fumes of wine. Don't you yet go and lie down quietly over there for a while. Chiding him the while, she directed a servant to fetch a pillow. Pao Yu therefore lay himself down at the back of Madame Wang and called Tai Xia to come and stroke him. Pa Yu then began to bandy words with Sai Xia, but perceiving that Sai Xia was reserved, and that instead of paying him any attention, she kept her eyes fixed upon Chia Huan, Pa Yu eagerly took her hand. My dear girl, he said, do also heed me a little. And as he gave utterance to this appeal, he kept her hand clasped in his. Sai Xia, however, drew her hand away and would not let him hold it. If you go on in this way, she vehemently explained, I'll shout out at once. These two were in the act of wrangling when verily Chia Huan overheard what was going on. He had, in fact, all along hated Pao Yu. So when on this occasion he espied him up to his larks with Sai Xia, he could much less than ever stifle feelings of resentment in his heart. After some reflection, therefore, an idea suggested itself to his mind, and pretending that it was by a slip of the hand, he shoved the candle, overflowing with tallow, into Pao Yu's face. Aya! Pao Yu was heard to exclaim. Everyone in the room was plunged in consternation. With precipitate haste, the lanterns standing on the floor were moved over, and with the first ray of light, they discovered that Pao Yu's face was one mass of tallow. Madame Wang gave way to anger as well as anxiety. At one time, she issued directions to the servants to rub and wash Pao Yi clean. At another, she heaped abuse upon Chia Huan. Lady Feng jumped onto the stone couch by leaps and bounds, but while intent upon removing the stuff from Pao Yu's face, she simultaneously ejaculated, Master Tertius! Are you still such a trickster? I'll tell you what, you'll never turn to any good account. Yet Dame Chao should ever correct and admonish him. This single remark suggested the idea to Madame Wang, and she lost no time in sending for Mrs. Chao to come around. You bring up, she berated her, such a black-hearted offspring like this, and don't you, after all, advise and reprove him? Time and again I paid no notice whatever to what happened, and you and he have become more audacious and have gone from worse to worse. Mrs. Chow had no alternative but to suppress every sense of injury, silence all grumblings, and go herself and lend a hand to the others in tidying Pao Yu. She then perceived that a whole row of blisters had risen on the left side of Pao Yu's face, but that, fortunately, no injury had been done to his eyes. When Madame Wang's attention was drawn to them, she felt her heart sore. 
It fell a prey to fears also, lest when Dowager Lady Chia made any inquiries about them, she should find it difficult to give her any satisfactory reply. And so distressed did she get that she gave Mrs. Chow another scolding. But while she tried to comfort Pai Yu, she, at the same time, fetched more powder for counteracting the effects of the virus and applied it to his face. It's rather sore, said Pai Yu, but it's nothing to speak of. Tomorrow, when my old grandmother asks about it, I can simply explain that I scalded it myself. That will be quite enough to tell her. If you say that you scalded it yourself, Lady Fung observed, why, she'll also call people to task for not looking out, and a fit of rage will, beyond doubt, be the outcome of it all. Madame Wang then ordered the servants to take care and escort Pao Yu back to his room. On their arrival, Shi Jin and the other attendants saw him, and they were all in a great state of flurry. As for Lin Tai Yu, when she found that Pai Yu had gone out of doors, she continued the whole day a prey to ennui. In the evening, she deputed messengers two and three times to go and inquire about him. But when she came to know that he had been scalded, she hurried in person to come and see him. She then discovered Pao Yu all alone, holding a glass and scanning his features in it, while the left side of his face was plastered all over with some medicine. Lin Tai Yu imagined that the burn was of an extremely serious nature, and she hastened to approach him with a view to examine it. Pao Yu, however, screened his face and, waving his hand, bade her leave the room, for knowing her usual knack for tidiness, he did not feel inclined to let her get a glimpse of his face. Tai Yu then gave up the attempt and confined herself to asking him whether it was very painful. It isn't very sore, replied Pai Yu. If I look after it for a day or two, it will get all right. But after another short stay, Lin Tai Yu repaired back to her quarters. The next day, Pai Yu saw Dowager Lady Chia, but in spite of his confession that he himself was responsible for the scalding of his face, his grandmother could not refrain from reading another lecture to the servants who had been in attendance. A day after, Ma, a Taoist matron, whose name was recorded as Pao Yu's godmother, came on a visit to the mansion. Upon perceiving Pao Yu, she was very much taken aback, and asked all about the circumstances of the accident. When he explained that he had been scalded, she forthwith shook her head and heaved a sigh. Then, while making with her fingers a few passes over Pao Yu's face, she went on to mutter incantations for several minutes. I can guarantee that he'll get all right, she added, for this is simply a saddened and fleeting accident. Turning towards Dowager Lady Chia, Venerable Ancestor, she observed, Venerable Buddha, how could you ever be aware of the existence of the portentous passage in that Buddhistic classic? To the effect that a son of every person who holds the dignity of prince, duke, or high functionary, has no sooner come into the world and reached a certain age than numerous evil spirits at once secretly haunt him and pinch him, and when they find an opportunity or dig their nails into him or knock their, his bowl of rice down during mealtime or give him a shove and send him over while he is quietly seated. 
So this is the reason why the majority of the sons and grandsons of those distinguished families do not grow up to attain manhood. Dowager Lady Chia, upon hearing her speak in this wise, eagerly asked, Is there any Buddhistic spell by means of which to check their influence or not? This is an easy job, rejoined the Taoist matron Ma. All one need do is to perform several meritorious deeds on his account so as to counteract the consequences of retribution, and everything will then be put right. That canon further explains that in the western part of the world there is a mighty Buddha whose glory illumines all things, and whose special charge is to cast his luster on the evil spirits in dark places. That if any benevolent man or virtuous woman offers him oblations with sincerity of heart, he is able to so successfully perpetuate the peace and quiet of their sons and grandsons that there will be no more meet with any calamities arising from being possessed by malevolent demons. But what, I wonder, inquired Dowager Lady Chia, could be offered to this god? Nothing of any great value, answered the Tao's matron Ma. Exclusive of offerings of scented candles, several catties of scented oil can be added each day to keep the lantern of the great sea alight. This great sea lantern is the visible embodiment and Buddhistic representation of this divinity, so day and night we don't venture to let it go out. For a whole day and a whole night, asked Dowager Lady Chia, how much oil is needed so that I too should accomplish a good action? There is really no limit as to quantity. It rests upon the goodwill of the donor. Ma, the Taoist matron, put in by way of reply. In my quarters, for instance, I have several lanterns, the gifts of the consorts of princes and the spouses of very high officials living in various localities. The consort of the mansion of the Prince of Nanao had been prompted in her beneficence by a liberal spirit. She allows each day forty-eight catties of oil and a catty of wiki so that her great sea lamp is only a trifle smaller than a water jar. The spouse of the Marquis of Qinxiang comes next, with no more than twenty catties a day. But these, there are several other families, some giving ten catties, some eight catties, some three, some five, subject to no fixed rule, and of course I feel bound to keep the lanterns alight on their behalf. Dowager Lady Chia nodded her head and gave way to reflection. There's still another thing, continued the Tao's matron Ma. If it be on account of father or mother or seniors, any excessive donation would not matter. But were you, venerable ancestor, to bestow too much in your offering for Pao Yu, our young master won't, I fear, be equal to the gift, and instead of being benefited, his happiness will be snapped. If you therefore want to make a liberal gift, seven catties will do. If a small one, then five catties will even be sufficient. Well, in that case, responded Dowager Lady Chia, let us fix upon five catties a day, and every month come and receive payment of the whole lump sum. Omi Tofu, exclaimed Ma, the Taoist matron, O merciful and mighty Pu Sa, Dowager Lady Chia then called the servants and impressed on their minds that whenever Pai Yu went out of doors in the future, they should give several strings of cash to the pages to bestow on charity 
among the bonzes and Taoist priests, and the poor and the needy they might meet on the way. These directions concluded, the Taoist matron trudged into the various quarters and paid her respects, and then strolled leisurely about. Presently, she entered Mrs. Chow's apartments. After the two ladies had exchanged salutations, Mrs. Chow bade a young servant girl hand her guest a cup of tea. While Mrs. Chow busied herself pasting shoes, Ma, the Taoist matron, espied, piled up on a heap on the stove couch, sundry pieces of silks and satins. It just happens, she consequently remarked, that I have no facings for shoes, so my lady do give me a few odd cuttings of silk and satin, of no matter what colour, to make myself a pair of shoes with. Mrs. Chow heaved a sigh. Look, she said, whether there will still be among them any pieces good for anything, but anything that's worth anything doesn't find its way in there. If you don't despise what's worthless, you are at liberty to select any two pieces and to take them away and have done. The Taoist matron, Ma, chose with alacrity several pieces and shoved them in her breast. The other day, Mrs. Chow went on to inquire, I sent a servant over with five hundred cash. Have you presented any offerings before the god of medicine or not? I've offered them long ago for you, the Taoist matron, Ma, rejoined. Omitofu, ejaculated Mrs. Chow with a sigh. Were I a little better off, I'd also come often and offer gifts. But although my will will be boundless, my means are insufficient. Don't trouble yourself on this score, suggested Ma, the Taoist matron. By and by, when Mr. Huan has grown up into a man and obtained some official post or other, will there then be any fear of your not being able to afford such offerings as you might like to make? At these words, Mrs. Chow gave a smile. Enough, enough, she cried. Don't again refer to such contingencies. The present is a fair criterion. For up to whom in this house can my son and I come? Pao Yu is still a mere child, but he is such that he wins people's love. Those big people may be partial to him and love him a good deal. I've nothing to say to it, but I can't eat humble pie to this sort of mistress. While uttering this remark, she stretched out her two fingers. Ma, the Taoist matron, understood the meaning she decided to convey. It's your lady Secunda Lian, eh? she forthwith asked. Mrs. Chow was filled with trepidation. Hastily waving a hand, she got to her feet, raised the portier, and peeped outside. Perceiving that there was no one about, she at length retraced her footsteps. Dreadful, she then said to the Taoist matron. Dreadful. But speaking of this sort of mistress, I am not so much as a human being, if she doesn't manage to shift over into her mother's home the whole of this family estate. Need you tell me this? Ma, the Taoist matron, at these words remarked with a view to ascertain what she implied. Haven't I, forsooth, discovered it all for myself? Yet it's fortunate that you don't trouble your minds about her, for it's far better that you should let her have her own way. My dear woman, rejoined Mrs. Chow, not let her have her own way. Why, is it likely that anyone would have the courage to tell her anything? I don't mean to utter any words that may bring upon me retribution, added Ma, the Taoist matron, but you people haven't got the wits, but it's no matter of surprise. Yet, if you daren't openly do anything, 
why you should stealthily have devised some plan. And do you still tarry up to this day? Mrs. Chow realized that there lurked something in her insinuation, and she felt an inward secret joy. What plan could I stealthily devise? she asked. I've got the will right enough, but I'm not a person gifted with this sort of gumption. So were you to impart to me some way or other, I would reward you most liberally. When the Tao's matron Ma heard this, she drew near to her. Omi Tofu, desist at once from asking me, she designedly exclaimed. How can I know anything about such matters, contrary as they are to what is right? There you are again, Mrs. Chow replied. You're one ever most ready to succor those in distress and to help those in danger. And is it likely that you'll quietly look on while someone comes and compasses my death as well as that of my son? Are you, pray fearful, lest I shouldn't give you any reward? Ma, the Taoist matron, greeted this remark with a smile. You're right enough in what you say, she ventured, of my being unable to bear the sight of yourself and son receiving insult from a third party. But as for your mention of rewards, why, what's there of yours that I still covet? This answer slightly reassured Mrs. Chow's mind. How is it, she speedily urged, that an intelligent person like you should have become so dense, if indeed the spell proves efficacious, and we exterminate them both, is there any apprehension that this family estate won't be ours? And when that time comes, won't you get all you may wish? At this disclosure, Ma, the Taoist matron, lowered her head for a long time. When everything, she observed, shall have been settled satisfactorily, and when there'll be, what's more, no proof at all, will you still pay any heed to me? What's there hard about this? remarked Mrs. Chow. I've saved several tiles from my own pin money, and have besides a good number of clothes and head ornaments. So you can first take several of these away with you, and I'll further write an IOU and entrust it to you, and when that time comes, I'll pay you in full. That will do, answered the Taoist matron Ma. Mrs. Chow thereupon dismissed even a young servant girl who happened to be in the room, and hastily opening a trunk, she produced several articles of clothing and jewellery, as well as a few odd pieces of silver from her own pocket money. Then, also writing a promissory note for fifty tiles, she surrendered the lot to Ma, the Taoist matron. Take these, she said, in advance for presents in your temple. At the sight of the various articles and of the promissory note, the Taoist matron became at once unmindful of what is right and what is wrong, and while her mouth was full of assent, she stretched out her arm and first and foremost laid hold of the hard cash and next clutched the IOU. Turning then towards Mrs. Chow, she asked for a sheet of paper and taking up a pair of scissors, she cut out two human beings and gave them to Mrs. Chow, enjoining her to write on the upper part of them the respective ages of the two persons in question. Looking further for a sheet of blue paper, she cut out five blue-faced devils which she bade her place together side by side with the paper men, and taking a pin, she made them fast. When I get home, she remarked, I'll have recourse to some art which will, beyond doubt, prove efficacious. When she, however, had done speaking, she suddenly saw Madame Wang's waiting maid make her appearance inside the room. What, my dame? 
Are you in here? the girl exclaimed. Why, our lady is expecting you. The two dames then parted company. End of part one.